brand new podcast. Here we are with our friend Rich Anderson. Now, if you notice, Matt is not with us today, but it is his wife's birthday, so we wish a happy birthday to her. And Rich, you know, we uh, we both have wives at home. We know how important it is to make their birthday special. So, <laughs> well, discretion is the better part of valor. So I guess he had to do it. So. So I guess Laurel is doing the show without Hardy. Is that it? Yep, that's it. <laughs> yes. Oh, wait, cut, cut. Let's redo that. <laughs> no, that's exactly it. I think that's great. Um, <laughs> that's perfect. Rich, um, tell me, it's been a tough week uh, for the RBA. Uh, there's been vandalism. The headquarters was smashed up. It believes uh, it looks like a riot got out of hand and smashed it up, or some some rogues did that. Mm-hmm. What exactly happened? Have we gotten to the bottom of that? Well, um, there's a police investigation underway, but they won't be able to find much because this happened in the dark of night. It's the way cowards usually strike. It's a hit and run, and they leave no fingerprints, and then they withdraw. They don't stand and fight. That's just the way it is. But um, um, there was, uh, there's no video, uh, either on our cameras or on the cameras at a bank across the street. I saw some tongue in cheek things posted on, uh, tweeted out that said, oh, the glass is on the outside. So the RPV boys broke it on the inside. Well, it's, it's scattered everywhere inside, outside in the vestibule. If you're familiar with the way the building is configured. So they just came by with a blunt object, whether it's a ball bat or something else, smashed the windows and took off. So um, have any Democrats it, reached out to you? I know uh, LeVar Stoney posted publicly on Twitter and I believe Terry McAuliffe did as well. I didn't um, see the Terry McAuliffe post. I saw the LeVar <clears throat> Stoney post and I appreciate him doing that, but I certainly wish that he would back that up with action and the sort of action I'm talking about is he is in an executive level position, has uh, legal authority to stop this, and so does Governor Northam. And yet they've taken pretty much a hands-off approach, uh, which has created a permissive environment where these lawless looters and other violent people, they feel empowered to go out and do what they've been doing. So um, they need to take action. Leadership uh, is not uh, a noun, it's a verb. And they need to have some action displayed here for all Virginians to see, and especially in our capital city, which it seems like Richmond has been the brunt of most of the violence. I tell you what, as a guy that took an oath on seven occasions, a federal oath as a commissioned officer in the Air Force, and then later uh, four times in the Virginia House of Delegates, I believe very strongly in the constitutionally protected right to assemble and express yourself freely, to assemble with free association with those whom you want to assemble with, um, because that's speech. And even if that speech is right in my face, that's fine. It's constitutionally protected speech. But the minute the first fist is thrown, the first time a bottle is thrown or a Molotov cocktail or a window is broken or other property is damaged or an individual is injured, then what you have is violence. When that happens, those people need to be taken down by law enforcement authorities handcuffed, read their rights, arrested, incarcerated, con- tried, convicted, and go away for a little while. Um, and that is exactly what needs to happen by those who are in authority. 
Well, and you've mentioned leadership. I mean, that's just something the governor has not provided. I mean, you know, we obviously, we definitely disagree with how LeVar is handling this, but at least LeVar did step up, as did, I believe, Spanberger. Mm -hmm. um, she put out a comment, but nothing from Northam. Well, Spanberger put out a comment because uh, we used the word thug, and mm -hmm. she, she used uh, racially tinged, I think is the word she used. Um, that is a leap beyond imagination. I think she doesn't even understand the use of that word, except to use it as a weaponized concept. Um, oh, exactly. Plus, I think it's actually, actually, I yeah. mean, I don't have any statistics to back this up, but my casual observation is there are more Caucasians out doing this than there are um, uh, people of, uh, this is to remind me to get on the call. <laughs> oh, you're my alarm off. No, Rich, you were absolutely right. In fact, by and large, most of the peaceful protesters, um, they were of color. And the ones that have agitated violence, Antifa, they are suburban white kids. Yes, they are. They just want to yes, play dress up and riot. Um, and it's also, I think it's funny, it's Spanberger actually um, making the assumption that you meant people of color. I think that's offensive. Well, well here's color, what I found. Not only is it offensive, those who throw that race card so casually, mm -hmm. they're often thrown on, thrown on Caucasians. And it, that in and of itself is a racial gesture. Mm -hmm. um, and so, uh, so I totally reject that. I spent my life standing up for other people, whether it was in the military or whether it was in the House of Delegates, standing up for people. And that's what I'm doing now as chairman of the Republican Party of Virginia, standing up so that we elect conscientious people who will take care of other people and make society better, make our commonwealth better. So, so I, I, I wholly throw that out. Two points about her tweet is number one, uh, the, uh, the fact that she threw that card shows that she's losing the argument across the board. Number two, she is running scared simply because she's afraid, number one, of, uh, of alienating her own party. She's now held hostage by, a, by an extremist element of her party that occupies the halls of Congress and Capitol, or Capitol Square in Richmond, Virginia. And she knows good and well, her days are numbered. Nick Freitas is going to take this woman out because he's good, because he knows the arguments, because he's a conscientious public servant, because he did something she has never done. He has worn the cloth of the country and served in ways that she never served. And he will serve in Congress in ways she never served. Absolutely. Nick, Nick, is, Nick is a great guy. Um, I, I will say, I will add just for the record, um, I mean, Spanberger did serve in the CIA, but of course, I mean, Nick did make the ultimate sacrifice going overseas um, and going into the yes, Middle East. Yes, but I will make the differentiation. Sure. He served on the front line in places where he was endangered greatly. Yes. I mean, severely at risk. And uh, the CIA right now is one of the least respected institutions in America. Nick served in one of the most respected institutions on the planet. 100%. And I mean, Nick Freitas is someone I've known since he was just first getting his start. Um, that was one of my first jobs in politics. And, you know, I, I've seen his star ascend. And yeah, I absolutely definitely think the seventh is within reach. Um, what are you doing now as RPV chair to not only help Republicans across the state, but to your point that you brought up, how do we diversify? How do we um, welcome people of color, the LGBTQ community? How can they 
how can we open ourselves up to mm-hmm. new Virginians, quite frankly, that the Republican Party has not welcomed before? Well, uh, the first part of your question is, what are we doing right now? And that is, we are working hand in glove with the Trump 2020 people, the Trump victory people here in Virginia, close relationship. Uh, I'm doing this broadcast today from my home on Wednesday. We're doing this taping, but tomorrow I will be down in Richmond for uh, um, to spend a day working with our folks, uh, with the staff down there. I got back last night at about 11 p.m. after being on the road for five days visiting units uh, across the central and south central part of Virginia and, and also into the Southwest. I just feel like I need to spend time with them. Like I said before, leadership is not a noun, it's a verb, it's action. And I feel like I need to march onto the battlefield with these troops who are so giving of themselves to ensure that we do well in this federal election cycle. And immediately thereafter, that's when I will swing to the state election cycle where I think many opportunities open up because of these disastrous policies that are coming out of Richmond, these disastrous policies that are coming out of Washington, DC. I think there's some new opportunities uh, that are going to open up for Virginia Republicans and we intend to leverage those. And one of the best ways we leverage those is to reach out to that broad swath of Virginians who wanna offer themselves in service to our Commonwealth, who have a heart for public service. And I have found, as long as I've been in public life, which has been since 2009 when I retired from the military, but especially now that I'm chairman of the party, and before that, uh, over an eight month period when I was traveling the state, meeting our Republican brethren and sisters, what I have found is this sense of patriotism, this sense of service, this sense of competence uh, exists. It knows no bounds of color or race or creed or religion or any of the other factors that Um, people hold uniquely. And so what I wish to do is to do some broad recruiting to convince people to move out, to present themselves and to do so with confidence because they will be welcome in our party. I was very impressed during the 2019 state election cycle last year when we had so many, especially uh, people of color and women who stepped forward, offered themselves in service to the Commonwealth and whether they win or lose, that's, that's um, there are positive things to be derived. Obviously, if they win, they step into the arena of action in the legislative uh, uh, world of Virginia. But if they don't win, and I always try to tell people this, if you put yourself at risk and you run for office and you are not successful, what that does is number one, you have performed a valuable civic duty in our Commonwealth, and that is to step forward and offer yourself. The second thing is, is every time an individual runs for office, successful or not, they accumulate a wealth of experience. And that's very important for those who may have run and not been successful in that they have this, this great opportunity to learn how to run for office or how not to run for office, which prepares them to run later. So in that regard, it's a very important part of this concept that I have of building a deep bench of candidates to step out for town and city council races, for boards of supervisors and school boards, for the general assembly, and yes, even for federal office. So that's very important. Yeah, and I mean, that's why I was I was so excited when you were elected chairman. Um, as you know, I mean, I put 
forward. Um, I've been talking you up uh, for a while, and you've been a friend to us on here. And with your leadership, using it as a verb, we, that's sorely needed in Virginia, because here's the thing. In, I don't know if you've seen the latest VCU poll um, had Trump losing Virginia, Daniel Gabe losing Virginia, um, Republican candidates at the federal level. How do we overcome that short gap? Do you think that polling is accurate or missing a group of people that aren't simply being polled? Well, I think that there are deep flaws in polling today. Polling used to be much more accurate and much a better predictive model. I majored in political science at Virginia Tech. And I remember, I'm not an expert in polling, but, but I took a course in it uh, using the rule sets and the technology that existed in the late 70s. And uh, it seems like it was almost more accurate. And I think it's because people cease to use these, uh, these landline phones and are not as easily reachable on cell phones and just a whole myriad of things. I think that the viciousness, especially from the left, has caused folks on the right to be less forthcoming and truthful with pollsters. I think that does play a factor. Um, it's never inhibited me, but I have had people tell me that. Um, it's the same reason that we don't see people displaying yard signs and bumper stickers in the quite with the same uh, prevalence as they did in years past, because that's a sure way to get somebody to come onto your lawn and do damage and steal the sign to key your car and any number of things. Um, and, and that predominantly comes from the left. Once in a great while, it will come from the right. And I condemn it if it comes from the right. One of the things I said uh, to a reporter last Friday, immediately after this uh, um, almost terrorist attack took place on RPV headquarters was, I don't want any Virginia Republican to uh, seek retribution except at the ballot box, at the ballot box where it really counts. Because my intention is, in these coming cycles, we may be down right now, but I'm telling you, we're going to bounce back. This is a cyclical affair. The pendulum swings left and it swings right. We're going to move it as far and as fast as we can, turn these people out of office and repeal every one of these destructive policies that they passed this year in the General Assembly. Well, that's the thing. I mean, the General Assembly, it, the rubber band is going to stretch only so far. You know, so recently with the proposed, uh, Lee Carter's proposed 25% cut on the police with, I believe now it's now knocked down to a misdemeanor to assault a police officer. These were thoughts and ideas that, I mean, I'm sure not only, I mean, even the people, and they may be there now, but when you were in the House of Delegates yeah. under Terry McAuliffe, I don't think this would have been proposed. We're yeah. in a different place in Virginia now. I don't think Terry McAuliffe would have permitted his House and Senate caucuses to narrate things this way and move in those directions. Now, he's been drug left, um, even more left, like members of his party. Mm -hmm. And like Terry McAuliffe or not, he was energetic. He, he did attempt to lead his caucus. But what sure. has happened is with Ralph Northam, Ralph is a, kind of a timid and tepid personality, if you know him. He's actually a guy that I worked with on a bill. I got to know him. But I think uh, he hasn't had leadership shaping experiences in life. He was, of course, he was in the military, but he was in a highly specialized field as a surgeon. He did not lead large organizations or um, uh, perform critical, uh, um, complex operational missions. What he did was selfless service 
don't take me wrong, but he does not have experience at leading large organizations. And as a state uh, senator, he didn't acquire those either. He was in a highly specialized technical field um, where necessarily leadership skills do not get developed. And therefore, he's been very susceptible in the revelation of his racist past at being drugged to the left by those who wish to leverage his uh, past in order to coerce support for a number of these uh, extremist policies that have been passed um, uh, through the House of Delegates and the State Senate. It's very unfortunate for our Commonwealth and for our people. But like what you said, we're building, you know, the Republican Party in Virginia is on its way back. And federally, uh, we may fall short in the state. However, um, on the state level, I think the lieutenant governor's race uh, is, has been heating up and actually is, is pretty exciting. Um, we have Glenn Davis tossed his ring in the hat, his hat in the ring. Sorry. Mm -hmm. um, we have Tim Hugo stepping forth. Now, those are two names and pretty accomplished individuals that mm -hmm. represent diverse areas and mm -hmm. that win in swing areas. So, I mean, and now, and potentially in the governor's race, I've also heard um, that Denver is thinking about it. So 2021, is it shaping up? Do you think it's our year basically to come back as a party in the state? Yes, I do. And again, it's because of these disastrous extremist policies that have emerged from Richmond and Washington. So, so, so let's step through this. Let's step through it smartly. Let's step through it with confidence, knowing that these are cyclical of, uh, events. And what we have seen is the other party has just simply gone to this ideological extremism that, contrary to what Bernie Sanders says, are not mainstream ideas. Uh, they're not mainstream ideas, I know. I've met- They're loud ideas, but they're not mainstream. Well, correct. And I have met many left of center Democrats who have told me that their party has moved in an alarming direction for them. I believe, uh, and this is only theory, uh, one explanation for the rapidity that we've seen in the House and Senate of Virginia may simply be they know have they, they have a limited window of time to do these things. But I am saying that uh, should this swing back to us, my intention is to flip working with others. This won't just be me. This will be literally thousands of Virginians working together to flip the House, to flip the Senate, to put people in office in the executive branch of Virginia government, and to repeal these disastrous, harmful, destructive policies we've seen come out. What do you think about, looking over to the other side of the fence, what do you think about the 2021 race uh, on the Democrat side? Uh, Terry McAuliffe filed uh, paperwork. Justin Fairfax, I think, is making a delusional bid, but he's tossing his hat in the ring. Um, and then for Lieutenant Governor, we have uh, Hala, Ayala, and um, Elizabeth Guzman mm -hmm. circling. What do you think about how things, and now Mark Herring is going to apparently stay and, and try and fight for his seat as Attorney General. So mm -hmm. what do you think about their side? Does that represent kind of that leftist uprising in the Democratic Party? And do you think that's going to take Terry McAuliffe down? Well, um, Terry McAuliffe, I think, uh, based on what I'm hearing from Democratic friends, uh, Terry McAuliffe had his crack, and now it's now time for some new blood in the governor's mansion. We shall see, but he is, uh, he's working it hard. He's working it energetically. 
He's raising money. He's uh, already filed paperwork uh, with the State Board of Elections so that he can, in fact, do fundraising. Um, but I think that there's a resurgent element in his party that says it's our turn now. It's our day, and you've had your opportunity. Um, the competitors on the Democratic side for the governor's mansion, um, the Prince William, one of the news. Our whole county is running for something. What? Our whole county is running for something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so, uh, for instance, if you look at uh, the two candidates for lieutenant governor who reside here in Prince William County, if you look at their professional lives, those lives have been lives of uh, uh, mediocrity. Um, it, there's no two ways about it. Um, one falsely proclaims that she's uh, some type of cybersecurity specialist, but I've spoken to people in and out of government who have worked with her who tell me, uh, in fact, she has been on the entry-level uh, tier of responsibility. She hasn't led thousands of people. Um, and there's some other things that uh, I won't talk about here, but uh, we'll be heard loud and clear in the campaign. Let's just say that. Okay. Um, <laughs> we don't uh, want to reveal our hand. And the other candidate, multiple uh, um, uh, finance, personal financial irresponsibilities. So how does that qualify that individual to be responsible for the public treasure in Richmond? Um, you have uh, can another candidate for governor um, who has had some very credible allegations made against him. Now, I do think that we have to presume innocence until sure. proven in a court of law. However, Democrats in Richmond have done every possible blocking maneuver to prevent any kind of hearing, any kind of discussion, any kind of accountability, any kind of anything. And Rich, you know as well as I do, if that was a Republican administration that had the accusations uh, leveled against Fairfax, the history of Northam, and it would have been tarred, feathered, and out of town on a rail. Out of town on the rail and have the train run there over. There is a dual standard. And, um, then uh, the, the, uh, one of the major papers here in Northern Virginia did an op-ed, I don't know, probably six, eight weeks ago, talking about the Prince William candidates that had offered themselves for state level office saying, experience counts. Mm -hmm. So it's amateur hour, boys and girls, is what we're seeing <laughs> right now. It's amateur hour. Ted Mack and the amateur hour, go look that up. Uh, <laughs> you're probably so young, you'd need to on the, go Google that. But uh, uh, Attorney General, you've got Mark Herring. He has had to step back. Why? Because of a very um, disappointing past, uh, much to his, well, not much to his credit, but perhaps to a degree to his credit. He self-revealed, but yeah. I think that's because he was fearful of, of uh, sudden disclosures by third parties, which is the fate that Ralph Northam suffered. Yeah. Um, so in other words, there is not a deep bench of talent on the other side. And I'm seeing some very deep talents begin to emerge on our side. And so, so fasten your seatbelt. It's going to be a fast ride. It definitely is. I, I mean, we, uh, Pete Snyder's another name that's been thrown around. I mean, the, and right. he's a friend of Baron Drift. Uh, you know, the list goes on and on. Um, and let, can I speak, let me speak to that for just a second. Um, many of those candidates will see this, and this buttresses conversations I've had 
with just about every candidate uh, either declared or suspicioned of declaring at some point. Okay. Governor, Lieutenant Governor, Attorney General, and for the Virginia House of Delegates next year. And I have made a pledge to each that I will preside over a Republican Party of Virginia that ensures a fair and equitable playing field, perfectly flat and level, where the chairman and no one within my uh, sphere of influence puts their thumb on the scale. So we will do nothing to help or hinder any of our candidates. They will be free to run on their own cognizance um, without interference from the state party, without preference. And may the best man or woman win um, on their own merits. This needs to be on a field of merit. Uh, often when you put uh, a thumb on the scale, you get a less than optimal look candidate and that can cost you at the polls on election day. Do we know if that's going to be, I mean, it's a too early to say if that process will be, because um, Virginia, we've had problems with conventions. I mean, let's not beat around the bush. We have had problems with conventions. Would that process, that free market approach as you um, are hinting at, would that be better in a primary? Well, um, perhaps, perhaps not. But what I would say about all this, you're alluding to the age old uh, question of primaries versus conventions. Yeah. Um, and, uh, Obviously, that decision will be made by the state central committee. That's their responsibility. When we have a meeting, uh, when we get further into the year, we will have a meeting and that decision will necessarily have to be made. I think it ought to be made and signaled as early as possible so that candidates can prepare campaigns accordingly. But um, one of the things I, that I feel is that we, of course, have, um, I think it's four methodologies in the state party plan. I don't think we should write any of them out, including conventions. What we should do is specify, and by we, I'm talking about the state central committee, rule sets about the do's and don'ts of convention planning and execution so that they are events, when they are selected, that uh, unfold in a way where individuals on both the winning and losing side have confidence in the process and so that the final nominee has uh, has uh, credibility so that the final candidate is legitimate in the eyes of everybody within the party and is someone that the vast majority of the party can get behind. So I definitely want to do that and we'll see. As for me, during my races for the Virginia House of Delegates, I always ran with a primary and was very comfortable with them. Now, obviously, in this race for chairman of the Republican Party of Virginia, I ran in a, in a uh, convention that was selected, but it was a convention with some peculiar and untried uh, rules at 12's dispersed locations across the Commonwealth. It yeah, was, it was one, <laughs> one big venue like the Richmond uh, convention center or Coliseum. So uh, we'll see how that all unfolds. But regardless of the method that's selected, my intention is free, fair, and on merit. Awesome. Well, Rich, uh, thank you for joining us. Thanks. And really, it, it's great. And you know, you are welcome on here anytime. All right. Well, I do appreciate it. But uh, next time, we got to have your uh, brother in arms there. With I know. He's got it. He's got a. Uh, hopefully, he's not. <laughs> hopefully, he's free. <laughs> but he's taking care of the business, and that's what he is. Doing. And that's, a, that's the ultimate responsibility.